Well, good morning to you in Maranatha. Our Lord comes, and I hope that you are ready for when he does come. And the way to get ready is by faith, believing that Christ died for your sins, was buried, and rose again. And by faith, we accept his free gift of salvation, eternal life to all who believe. What a, what a great story. What a great truth uh, that that is. Well, this morning, I want us to continue with our study of Christ of the book. Uh, Hebrews 10.7 is the, the scripture that we're going to be using throughout this series. Uh, it, uh, in the volume of the book, it's written of me, uh, the me being the Lord Jesus Christ. And this morning, I want us to look at Exodus. Uh, we had looked at Genesis, and in Genesis, he is creator. And then last week, we looked in Job, and in Job, he is almighty. Now, before we get into Exodus, I, I realized after I left here and I was heading home uh, that I had left out a really important point uh, of the book of Job, and I, I found out really quick-like that it was important because I had some people t uh, message me and say that, that, hey, you left this part out, uh, which I'm very grateful for because that was a confirmation that, yep, I left this part out, first of all, and second, that I shouldn't have. Uh, so I, I want to look at Job for just a brief moment uh, uh, here uh, because this, the point that I want to make is one of the most important aspects to the book of Job as far as following along with the point we're wanting to make in this series of Christ of the book, with Christ being the theme of every book of the Bible. Uh, as we learned last week, that Job is the Almighty. He is the sovereign creator. Uh, he is no one, absolutely no one to trifle with. Uh, as you go through the book of Job, you realize that the question is not uh, why do the righteous suffer, uh, but the question is how should the righteous react when suffering occurs? And that's such an important point of, of the book of Job, and we pointed that out last week. Uh, we talked about the fact that tradition teaches that, and I think uh, in in error, but tradition, uh, human reason says that uh, if God is happy, you're going to prosper. And as long as you're prospering while God's happy with you, uh, some of the Bible teaches, really. Uh, if, if you're not prospering, then God is angry, and if he's angry with you, you're going to suffer. So if you're suffering, God is angry with you. Well, nothing could be further from the truth. That's, that's not necessarily true. But the part that I left out last week that is so important is Job's sincere call and desire for a, a need for a mediator. And that's what Christ is in the book of Job. He is the Almighty but if you wanted to say, he is the almighty mediator. Uh, in the book of Job, uh, Job had a mediator in Elihu. 
He was the one that stepped forward. It, and, and Elihu, he is the one who points out that God is the giver of divine righteousness for those who are helpless, uh, helpless sinners and can't save themselves. But look real quick with me to Job. You say, well, it's not Genesis, Job, and Exodus. No, but Job is, historically, chronologically, Job would be the next book. Job chapter 9, verse 33. I think it's two key verses in the book of Job. One where Job says, though he slay me, still I will serve him. I'll still praise him. I'll still love him, uh, regardless of what he does. And then Job chapter 9, verse 33. And this was a cry of Job. Neither is there any day's man. And the day's man was an arbitrator. He was a mediator. Basically, neither is there any mediator between us that might lay his hand upon us both. And that was Job's cry for that mediator. Look at Job 16, verse 21. He pretty much does the same thing here. In Job 21, Oh, that one might plead for a man with God. Oh, that one might plead with God for man. Or for a man with God. As a man pleads for his neighbor. That was... That is the central truth of the book of Job. He's pointing out the need for an arbitrator, for a mediator. And of course we know that we have one in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I failed to point that out last week, and some of you really let me know that I had, and I appreciate that. I, I appreciate the fact that you were on top of that and said, oops, you left something out. And don't, don't ever hesitate to do that. I really, uh, I, I really appreciate the phone calls and the text messages uh, pointing that out because you were right, I did, and that's an important point. This morning I want us to look at Exodus. Turn with me to Exodus. From Egypt to Moses to the construction of the tabernacle, we find the Lord Jesus Christ as the great deliverer. Christ is the great deliverer throughout the book of Exodus. Not only does he deliver his people from bondage, but he delivers on all of his promises to do exactly what he says he's going to do. So he is the great deliverer throughout the book of Exodus. Moses, you know the story, Moses escapes from, from Egypt. Uh, he has to skedaddle, he has to run because he has killed uh, an Egyptian, saving one of the, the Hebrew children. So he goes to Midian and he lives there. He marries, he settles down in Midian. He leaves Pharaoh's court. He was raised as one of the sons of Pharaoh. Uh, he was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. Uh, so God has to get him out of there and bring him to the mountain where he can actually teach him. And so it's there in Midian where Moses is taking care of the sheep. Something remarkable, wonderful happens. Something that is really unexplainable except from the standpoint that we know that with God all things are possible. 
So look at Exodus chapter 3. And folks, we could spend a month of Sundays just on Exodus and looking at the types. And when we talk about Christ of the book, all the way through Exodus do we find the Lord Jesus. I had to settle for one, and basically he is the deliverer. He delivers them from thirst. He delivers them from hunger. He delivers them from their enemy. He is the great deliverer all the way, delivers them from themselves, literally, all the way through the book of Exodus. But look at Exodus chapter 3. Start with verse 4. Well, verse 2 says that the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. This angel of the Lord is the Lord Jesus himself. So this angel of the Lord appears unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. What do we call that? A miracle. But again, with God, all things are possible. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, here am I. Now, a point that I want to make just so we don't miss this, is when the Lord called Paul, just he calls Moses, and what does he say? Moses, Moses. It's interesting, when he calls Paul, what does he say? Paul, Paul. Getting his attention. He calls Moses twice, he calls Paul by name twice. I think that's significant. And Moses says, here am I. And he said, draw not nigh hither, but put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place wherein you stand is holy ground. And moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Smart man. Smart man. So God, the Lord Jesus, talks to him from out of a burning bush. It identifies that the one that's speaking to him is the Lord. It is God himself that's talking to, to Moses. Now, when we see this verse in chapter 6, or, or chapter 3, verse 6, when we see that verse there, um, I... I want to see a church full of folks, and you will after this, you immediately, gloriously, without exception, recognize that this is the very verse that the Lord Jesus used in Matthew to defend the resurrection of the dead. See, that should be the first thing that popped in your mind when I read that verse. Where have we read that verse? Oh, yeah, I know where we've read that verse. I want us to become so acquainted with the Word of God that these important verses just jump out at us and tell us truths that are so glorious. Moses says, I am the God of thy father. It's important that he didn't say, I was 
the God of your father, indicating that they're dead. But I am the God of your fathers. Look at Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Look at verse 32. Let's start with verse 30. Matthew 22, verse 30. For in the neither marry nor but are the angels of God in heaven. But as touching of the dead, have ye not read that which was spoken to you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. That's the significance of what we're reading here in Exodus chapter 3. The Lord Jesus was, was verifying that he is the God of the living, not the dead. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they, they were alive. Not soul sleep, but they were alive. I am the God of the living, not was of the living. See, but that's, that's such an, an integral part of proving the resurrection and declaring the truth of the resurrection is that the Lord Jesus used this verse in, in addressing Moses that I am the God of the living. That's also critical that we understand that he uses a term here, I am. And he goes on to emphasize that term. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmaster, taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. They've been in Egypt 400 years up to this point. 400 years. Remember they went into Egypt when Joseph was second in command and Egypt received uh, Jacob and his, his children, his family, and they were brought in and Joseph was a hero, but it didn't take long, and they worked themselves into slavery. 400 years they were in slavery, and they were crying out to God, rescue us, deliver us, save us, because of the slavery that they were enduring. So here it's verifying. God says, I, 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 I heard your cry. Verse 8, and I am come to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. He is our deliverer. And to bring them up out of the land to the good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Parasites and the Hivites, Hivites and the Jebusites. Six different nations represented in the land, six being the number of man, all part of formulating uh, those that God is going to tell them, you need to remove them out of the promised land. This is the promised land. I'm, Moses, I want you to deliver the children to where a, a place I'm going to show you. Verse 9. Now therefore, behold, the cry of children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that you may bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses enters into this dialogue with the Lord. And he asks him an important question. 
And Moses said unto God, unto Elohim, the all-powerful one, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought forth the children out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. It was on Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai. And Moses said unto God, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, The God of your fathers hath sent me unto you, and they shall say to me, What is his name? You say you're coming into us, you're coming to us, who is he? What's his name? What shall I say unto them? That's an important question. And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. Here the Lord gives Moses his name. He is Hava, or Jehovah. He's, remember, we talked last week that God is what He is. He is El in Hebrew. He is Elohim. He is El Shaddai. He is the all-powerful God that provides. All of those uh, El derivatives are important, but that is what He is. But who is He? Who is he? And this was going to be a question that Israel was going to ask. They're going to ask me, who, who is it that sent you? Remember, Egypt has a whole bunch of gods. Matter of fact, they have ten different gods that they serve. If you're wondering why there were ten plagues, it's because each one of those plagues were directed toward each one of the Egyptian gods and just splattered them. Just show the Egyptians, oh, you, you think that uh, uh, Osiris is the god of sun and, and light? Then I'm going to make it dark. And it's like, who's the all-powerful one now? So every one of the gods, uh, God lambasted. God says, I'm going to bring judgment just to show you who the true God of heaven is. And so they were asking, who, who is this God that, that you're telling us sent, sent you? And the Lord gives them his name. He says, I am Hava, the great I am. And for the next, through the rest of the scriptures, and especially in the book of Exodus, God, the Lord, our faithful one, he goes through proving them that I am your provider. I am your peace. I am your righteousness. Who has sent you to us? You tell them, I am. And I, that I am, that name, it represents the fact that he is eternal. It, that name represents the fact that he is self-existing. That, that name represents the fact that he is absolute. He is the great I am. Nothing else needed. That's who he is. And when you look at that name, it, look, look at John chapter 18. This is one of my favorite scriptures. I, I, love, I love the story in John chapter 18. 
You ever wondered why this happens? Well, go back to Exodus and it tells you why it happened. John chapter 18. Uh, this is the arrest of Christ. They're in the garden. Judas uh, is betraying him with a kiss. Verse 4 of John chapter 18. And Jesus, therefore, knowing all things that should come upon him, went forth and said unto them, Whom seek you? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said unto them, I am. The word he is in the italics. It's too bad it put the word he in there. I am. Put a little X there in that E. Because it didn't go there. He says, I am. And look at the result of that. I am. And Judas also, which betrayed him, stood with them. And as soon as he said unto them, I am, what did they do? They went backward and fell to the ground. You think about, you talk about power, you talk about might. That's what's in that name. I am. They fell to the ground. Then asking them again, whom seek you? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I've told you that I am. He was relating. He was telling them that he is the same Lord that was standing and that they were arresting that introduced himself to Moses way back then. I am. But he doesn't stop there. And we're going to look at some of those scriptures in a second. But I am the door. I am the light of the world. I am all the bread of life. I am the living water. All the way through God's word, Christ declares who he is. He is the great I am. I am the one that will deliver you. I am the one that will provide for you. Uh, one of the, the neat things, when I ask you what your favorite psalm is, what would you say? Psalm, somebody say 23rd? I thought I heard 23rd. Maybe it was just in my own head. But when we talk about people's favorite psalm, the one that's quoted the most often is they'll say, well, the 23rd Psalm. Do you know that every one of the uh, uh, Jehovah derivatives is in the 23rd Psalm? All, all of them. Turn with me to the 23rd Psalm. Everything, when people talk about the Psalms and how important the 23rd Psalm is, I don't want to lose Exodus. But we have all of them right here. All of the Jehovah, what we call the Jehovah derivatives. Jehovah Shalom, which means the Lord of Peace. Uh, Jehovah Roi is Jehovah the Shepherd. All the way through. Look at 23rd Psalm. Jehovah is my shepherd. Jehovah Roi. I shall not want Jehovah Jireh. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. When you think of laying down in green pastures, um, what do you think of? Rest, peace, Jehovah Shalom. 
He leads me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He heals me. Jehovah Rufika. He leads me in the paths of righteousness. Je- uh, Jehovah Zekanu. All of these are derivatives of the name that he declared to, Je- to Moses. I am. And watch what I am going to do from here on out. But he was Jehovah Nisi, the banner, the rallying point, the one that you rush to when you have need. All the way through, uh, Jehovah Metzkanim, Jehovah that sanctifies you. All of these are there. And that was what God is preparing Moses and the children of Israel for is this Jehovah that is the great I Am the one that they can turn to, the one they can depend on, the one that's going to be there for them at all times. I am that I am. Thus shalt thou say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And God said more unto Moses, back to verse 15 of chapter 3, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, The Lord God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Israel, and the God of Jacob, hath sent me unto you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial unto all generations. The whole point of God declaring who He is, His name to them, is so that they would have that assurance that He is all of those things. Moses is not sure they're going to hearken to the voice. And so he asked God, what happens if Pharaoh don't listen? What happens if the children of Israel don't listen? And this is where God institutes, okay, Israel, they're, they're going to ask for a sign, so give them a sign. That's all the way through the Scripture. Even on the day of Pentecost, there were signs that what God was doing or what was happening was from God. It was God that initiated that. It was God that said, yes, they're going to want a sign, but I am faithful God who is going to provide those signs that give witness, that bear witness that I am the God that's at work here. All the way through the Scripture, God does not want to leave them not knowing who He is. Look at uh, Exodus 6, 1. In Exodus 6, 1, God reassures Moses that concerning his plans to deliver, to redeem, and to save Israel. As you read Genesis 6, I mean Exodus 6, 1, all the way through verse 8. Look at verse 8. And I will bring you unto the land concerning the which I did swear to give to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob, and I will give you for a heritage. I am Jehovah. I am that I am, basically, is what he's saying there. I will deliver you. I'm going to bring you. I'm going to do exactly what I said I was going to do. God's faithful to do all that. When he says, I am something Folks, he is that something. Chapter 7 through 12, it talks about the plagues. 
as I mentioned a while ago, all ten of those plagues are directed toward the gods, the gods of Egypt. I turn to Exodus 12, 12. Just to make sure you understand. Exodus 12, 12. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night and will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am. See, he's also deliverer. He's also destroyer. He's also judge all the way through the book of Exodus. And just as in Genesis, he is the great God, he is the great creator, he is the almighty, he is no one to trifle with, the scripture bears that out. But as we study this, we see the faithfulness of God doing exactly what he said he was going to do. Then in chapter 12, oh, it instructs Moses concerning the Passover. Every detail of the Passover is pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get to 1 Corinthians 5, 7, and it tells us that Christ is our Passover. He is our deliverer. He is that one who is faithful to deliver us from sin. Amen? He is our Passover. In chapter 12, it gives us the purpose of, to the selection, uh, the purpose of the Passover and the selection of the Lamb concerning the Passover. And it's so telling, so it demonstrates this picture of the Savior to come. As we study this, we see the redemption, the sanctification, the substitution of all the work of God that's going on in the book of Exodus as He delivers His people over and over and over again. In Exodus 14, the Dead Sea episode, how important it is. You know, when I say we could spend a month of Sundays just in Exodus, we probably could spend that much just in the first 14 chapters of Exodus. But here at the Red Sea episode, we see so many important truths of the power of God, how He desires to deliver His people. I think one of the things that just jumps out at us is the Lord tells Moses to stand still. And if you're standing still, what does that mean you're doing? Nothing. God's aim was to save. God's aim was to deliver. And even here is a picture of the finished and complete work of Christ. Stand still and see the salvation of Jehovah. Stand still and see the salvation of the God who loves you, who cares so much for you. Stand still. Same today. You can't save yourself. Not of works, lest any man should boast. That's the whole point that, that God was making to Moses here at the Red Sea. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Don't build a bridge. Hey, here it's not even build a boat, okay? It's stand still. Because God was going to show him something powerful. He was going to show him something, and the children of Israel, mighty. He was going to show himself to be the true God of heaven. 
But what we also see here, happening here at the Red Sea, is there's only one way for them to be saved. Only one way. They could have maybe tried to devise of other ways to escape death and destruction. Because that's exactly what Pharaoh's army and Pharaoh himself had in mind. I am going, I'm going to kill them. Why in the world did we let them go? He must have a really short memory. There's a whole, there were ten reasons that he had let them go. But he was going to go after them. And there was only one way for Moses and the children of Israel to escape, and that was God's way. They could have tried to improvise. They could have tried to determine, well, if we go around this way or what, it wouldn't have worked. And to do what they did took faith. It took faith. They had to believe God. We've all seen the Cecil DeMille movie. We've seen how, uh, and I'm, I, in my head I visualize that's exactly the way it happened. With the water on both sides and, and just massive. It took faith to take a step down into that escape route. But that was the only way. See, that's what we get in the book of Exodus. We find, we see the great I Am working in such a glorious way. Verse 30, chapter 14. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead upon the seashore. And Israel saw the great work which Jehovah did upon the Egyptians. The one who had just told them, My name is Havah, it is Jehovah, it is Yahweh. He delivers them. He saves them. Boy, wouldn't that be exciting to see? Can you imagine if you saw God work in such a glorious fashion, you know the last thing you'd ever want to do would be complain about God and doubt His ability to save and rescue. In the next chapter, we have Israel doing what? Griping and complaining and bellyaching because the water's bitter. Hey, he just parted the water to think that he can't fix this little problem. But they got to Myra, which means bitter, and the waters were the waters were bitter. They couldn't drink. They started complaining. Look at verse 22 of chapter 15. I think it's fascinating, uh, chapter 15, a few verses up before that, uh, verse 11, the people are saying, Who is like unto thee, O God, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? Thou stretches out thy hands to the earth, and the earth swallows them. Thou in mercy, they're just 
they're bragging on God. They're praising God for what they saw happen at the Red Sea. Just a few verses down, verse 22. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three, day, three days. Three days is all it took. Three days in the wilderness, and they found no water. Now that's serious, right? Can't find water, that's serious. But they should have just trusted God. And that's what he's going to show them all the way through this, is that you can, you can trust me to deliver what it is that you need. When they came to Myra, verse 23, they could not drink the waters of Myra, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Myra. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried unto Jehovah. And Jehovah showed him a tree, which when he had cast it into the waters, the waters were made sweet. And there he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. There he tested them. You need water? I can provide that water. Because in the book of John, which really correlates with a lot of what's going on here, he makes sure that Israel again knows he is the living water. He is the source of water. He is the source of life. And it's interesting that in order to provide them that which they needed to live, there had to be a tree introduced. I'm sure that was just a coincidence, right? Wrong. There's no coincidence. And in order to save you and to save me, there was a tree that was introduced in order to buy our pardon to buy our redemption actually we weren't pardoned you know to pardon is is to realize that okay this guilty person we're just gonna forgive your sins we're gonna forgive your crime we're just gonna overlook your crime we're, we're gonna ignore your crime we're gonna pardon you when a president or a governor pardons someone they don't really abolish what the guy did they just turn him out of prison and okay you're forgiven that's not what happened to us. We were not pardoned. Our sin, the debt, our crime was paid in full. Just not by us. That's a whole other sermon. We'll get there one of these days. But that's an important point to remember. Our sin was not pardoned. We were not pardoned. A substitute took upon himself our crime, our sin. Exodus 15, verse 26. This is what the Lord says. If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and wilt do that which is right in His sight, and will give ear to His commandments, and keep all of His statutes, and He's going to be giving them to them during this time, I will put none of these diseases upon thee, 
which I have brought upon the Egyptians. See, God, this is a good time for the Lord to say, okay, Israel, you're here. Uh, you've seen I can deliver you from Pharaoh's army. Uh, I'm, I, you're thirsty. I delivered you from thirst. And I just want you to know, and I gave you my name, I am. Well, look at this next thing he tells them. I will put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I am Jehovah Rophika. I am the God who heals thee. I am the Lord who heals thee. If you will follow me, Israel, pay attention. Listen to me. I am going to make you a nation of priests. I'm going to make you a holy nation. I'm going to make you an example of a people who trust in the true and living God. And here's what I am going to do on your behalf. I am your Jehovah, Rofika. It's a powerful message to them. Chapter 16, they start getting hungry. He preserves them from hunger. He delivers them from hunger in chapter 16. He gives them bread from heaven. He feeds them angels' food. And I've always heard that sort of cake, like a cake, angels' food cake. I don't know, but I like angels' food cake. They're hungry, so he provides them manna from heaven. Look at John chapter 6, verse 35. When we may have to look at, keep looking at this next week, because there is just so, there is so much more. Look at John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. He is the great provider. What an amazing God we serve. What an all-powerful God we serve, we love, we adore. Exodus 17, they're out of water again. And... God enables them to get water out of a rock. You ever tried getting water out of a rock? There's not much water in a rock. Unless God's in it. And that rock followed them all through the wilderness. According to 1 Corinthians 10. So that they were never thirsty again. John 7, verse 38, Christ says, I am the water of life. I am the water. The whole point here is for us to see, identify, and know who the true God of heaven is. We've not even gotten into the feast days. The feast days that God shows Moses as they set up the, the feast days, you know, from the Passover to first fruits to Pentecost to atonement to tabernacles. 
All seven feast days point to the Lord Jesus Christ. I am your Passover. I am your resurrection. I am your atonement. I am the one who dwells among you. All the way through Exodus, we see this type fulfilled in Christ all the way, all the way through. The tabernacle. We don't have time for the tabernacle. But you know what? Next week we are going to take time for the tabernacle. So it's going to take us not 66 weeks to get this. It's going to take us 67 and maybe even more as we expand on this. Because seeing Christ in the tabernacle, you realize the tabernacle is, is shaped like a cross on the inside. Do you realize that God instructs Moses to line the children of Israel up, and as they're marching through the wilderness, they march in the shape of a cross? Don't tell me there's not a God in heaven. Don't tell me he's not wanting to reach out to his people and say, believe me, my word is true. You can trust me. And not only am I an all-powerful God, but I love you so much that I'm going to give you my word and I'm going to show you in my word that I exist and you have no excuse for not believing in me. I'll guarantee you, there's not a person alive that's going to stand before God that's not going to understand that over and over and over again, from His Word, He proved Himself to be true, to be real, and to be really loving and merciful in offering salvation. So next week, we're going to look at the tabernacle. We'll finish up Exodus. There's so much, so much more. But Leviticus is great too. In Leviticus, he's the great lawgiver. In Exodus, well, I'll talk next week about it. The question is, do you know this great I am who loves you, who went to Calvary to take your place, not just to pardon you, but actually to pay that debt of sin you owed? And if you've never by faith given your heart life to Christ. Let me encourage you to do that. We don't ask you to stand up. We don't ask you to come down. We don't want you to do anything that you may say, well, I did. We want you to put your faith and trust in the all-finished work of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning and how thankful we are that you love us how thankful we are for the salvation we have in Christ. We're thankful for the truth of the gospel. That Christ was died, buried, and rose again. Father, we believe that here at Bible Fellowship. We preach that here at Bible Fellowship. And in order for people to be saved, what they must do is believe that glorious truth. We thank you for your word. We thank you for how it just reveals you to us from Genesis to Exodus. And Father, may we faithfully preach and proclaim. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here that's never trusted you as Savior, Father, before they leave this building today, they'll do just that. By faith, trust you. 
And we pray these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.